and welcome to episode number three of the Magical Space Pussycats. Thank you for joining us once again. My name is Caitlin and I'm coming to you from England. My channel on YouTube is Kitty G and I am once again joined by the two lovely other ladies. My name is Chelsea Outlaw and I am joining you guys from the United States. On YouTube I am better known as The Reading Outlaw. And I am Elizabeth over on YouTube. I am Books and Pieces and I am here today in Wales. We're going to be talking about the book Sinners, which we all read over the last month. So we're going to do some spoilers on that, so just be aware. And we're also going to be talking about the various news articles that we found over the last week in our What's New Pussycat segment, which is going to be up first. So shall we launch into that? Yeah, let's go about it. Okay. Um, so the first thing that I found whilst I was looking into various news things of the week, and I was actually tweeted this on Twitter, which is really exciting, is an article that Tor published very recently of various different science fiction and fantasy booktubers. And as we all know, Tor is a pretty big publisher. They publish <laughs> lots of uh, lots of books in science fiction and fantasy. So it was quite exciting to me to see this article with a ton of people included. I agree. I was, it's, I'm torn because it's not all SFF specific That's channels. True. Yeah, like I include... felt the same way. It's like lots of general booktube and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, there's lots of the bigger channels mentioned, I think. Which like which is, is okay because the those case. like make, you know, there there are SFF content featured on those channels, but also like. If you're going to call your article SFF booktubers to keep an eye out for, I don't know that like Peru's project is necessarily the best person to include on your list. Like I love Reagan's channel. She's just, you're, you're burying the lead a little bit. You're kind of miss pitching that if people are going to be going to Reagan looking for like mainly SFF content. Yeah, she, like, reads some fantasy, but that is largely just, like, YA stuff and, mm. and like, general booktube. I mean, it gives the context for, like, some of the things that booktube talks about that might be a bit more alien to people coming from a blog context. Mm-hmm. But I think mm, perhaps yeah. it gives too much content and not enough specifically SFF, given the title of the article. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of people mentioned in the article, and I would say probably a, a third of those are specifically booktube mm-hmm. SFF, or people I would consider Or are people like the readables who I don't even think is making Yeah, I'm not convinced she's made anything for anymore, a while. Or at least has slowed down. She had a very down. long break, I know that much, so. Yeah, I think she's either stopped or like really slowed down the rate at which she produces content so i really like it and i it's you know it's always nice to see your friends getting (laughs) a little shout out from especially from a big kind of institution like tour but at the same time some some parts of the article feel a little i don't know rushed maybe or like yeah it was i feel like it was a bit of a like oh my god somebody write something about this thing and who maybe didn't i don't know I, I wasn't sure if it was meant to be about booktube or about sff mm-hmm. really yeah it's sort of 
trying to do both and, and it seems like it's, maybe not it's, quite hitting either <laughs> yeah and i think this is what you were talking about elizabeth it's more about the actual videos themselves than it is about the channels yeah like it's like here's true. this person doing a tag or this person doing a haul or this yeah. person so it's i think like you were saying it's a great intro to kind of how booktube functions as a whole yeah. common things you'll see that you might not see somewhere else yeah but, you know, then it introduces BookTube SFF Awards, which I was so very happy to see. Yay! Yeah, always a good thing. <laughs> Can't be sad about that being no, featured yeah. because I'm very happy. Hopefully next year we will have a whole horde of new voters. Oh, that would be um, awesome. Yeah. Yes, for anybody who isn't aware who may be listening to this, um, BookTube SFF Awards was started by a, a bunch of us over on BookTube to award the books that we love. So that's our own little answer to all the other <laughs> SFF Awards out there. Yeah. Yeah. So. And there's some nice comments on the tour articles, so that's good to yeah, see. Yeah, that's well. always nice. People. Excellent. And okay, yeah. so that's a, just a little mention to that one, and uh, yes. we'll put a link to that article if you guys haven't seen it. Oh. There are some people that you may not have heard of, so we'll definitely link that down below. An uh, exciting new thing for all us pussycats is that uh, <laughs> Uncanny Magazine is doing its year three Kickstarter. Yay! And I know we are all huge fans of Uncanny Magazine here. Um, yeah. And I, I am going to be backing it. I haven't yet put my money in, but I will definitely be getting the subscription thing because I love everything they do. I'm so impressed by it. I mean, Same. how can you not? Yeah, I backed the last yeah. one. They have, of course, already surpassed their original backers goal. Of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think for anyone who has read Uncanny that it is necessarily surprising at all <laughs> i definitely feel like they're one of the most impressive short story mm-hmm. magazines that we have that we can subscribe to at the moment so. without yeah. a doubt they consistently publish some of the most like interesting innovative unusual and just fantastic <laughs> like stories that I mean there are so many that I'm thinking back this year they've got at least a couple that have been nominated in like most of the big mm-hmm. SFF awards yeah. yeah I think I think yeah. we mentioned one last week in the Locus Awards mm-hmm. yes I'm yep. pretty sure we definitely the, uh, there's an Alyssa Wong story times. the uh, starving daughters of hungry mothers or something it's a horror story and it's been nominated in several of the kind of horror categories and horror awards like it's the only subscription i have where when it comes into my kindle i am reliably like i'm gonna like every story that's in here like i'm gonna this is gonna be a really solid like expectably yeah. solid reading experience <laughs> yes i i very much trust the thomases they seem to be excellent editors i interviewed them last year i think oh, I'm so um, yeah, and they're such sweethearts as well. I love them. So, yeah, we, we will be giving all our money to Uncanny, and we yes, recommend please. that you do too. Of course. Yeah, and they will yes. be in Americon, so I'm going to swing by and see if they've got any of those lovely uh, Space Ranger unicorn patches still <laughs> hanging out. Get so. yourself one of those, definitely. <laughs> Next article What exciting new thing have we found? Do we want to touch this fantasy romance one? <laughs> Let's. We can give that one a go. (laughs) Let's. Seeing as before we started recording this episode, there was already quite a lot of discussion happening about this article. (laughs) Why not dive into this one? All right. So this is an article that I found this morning, actually, on uh, Fantasy Faction, who are a UK blog, I believe, and they post all sorts of 
various articles about fantasy and SF. Um, the particular article that we are talking about is called Why Are the Worlds of Fantasy Romances So Grim? And it's a fairly short article, but it references quite a lot of different books that would be classed as fantasy romance. Most of them are older, um, with a few newer mentions like Lanny Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Outlander, things like that. What do you want to say about this, ladies? <laughs> um, we well, I I was not a fan of this article. Like, no, so I'm, I'm I understand sure. where they're coming from. Like, it's something that a lot of romance writers in general, romance critics and stuff, have had to grapple with over the years. Is you know when we include sex and sexual violence in something, you know, how do we treat it, uh, and can it be portrayed positively um and and that kind of things and it's yeah but i don't feel like this article goes in depth enough i don't think it actually grapples mm. with the topic that it's trying mm. to present to us and i think in some ways it's actually kind of making excuses in a very bad way yeah. it's not meaning to i don't think i don't feel like the author I can't find now yeah, somewhere at the I'm bottom. I'm sure it's maybe just a case of not going far enough. I think that's what we potentially all yeah. agreed on. Yeah. The article talks about various different subheadings like power and control, deprived villains, and abuse. Um, and then the final sort of section is it's not all grim, which basically says, but everything I've said so far is not the rule for everything. So just <laughs> yeah, be aware that entire, I might be wrong. Yeah, here's my entire thesis. But it's okay, because not everything's like that. Which, first yeah. of all, yeah, my problem with this article is twofold. One, I don't find it very well written. Um, it doesn't do the thing where it puts out kind of a general thesis or idea and then pull in specific examples to back it up. It doesn't do that very well. <laughs> mm. And second of all, it what we were talking about before we were recording and what I just keep coming back to is, while it doesn't make it right, as long as within romance, the dominant narrative is a hetero one of men in power and females not in power one of the primary things that you're going to see is violence and is going to be sexually based violence. It's just, it uses that argument of, well, but it's historically accurate and like, but no, no it's, it's also not. <laughs> so, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just, it just, yeah, I did not care for this article. Yeah. The argument of historical accuracy in fantasy has been taken to pieces so many times that, like, just trying to do it again, just, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. go go and find someone else who's done it, because there have been so many takedowns of it. And yeah, it's... yeah, just, just yeah. Google it. You can find a million of them. Yeah. Slash, don't you go, don't go anywhere near my daughter's Smoke and Bone trilogy. Don't you do it. Don't, <laughs> don't go there. We will rumble. Yeah. We will rumble in the jungle, if that's how you want to throw down. Because it, it starts off with a, like, you know, the antagonists in traditional epic fantasy, which is, like, very narrow in general, villains are, the villains in fantasy romance are evil, uncaring, violent, and bent on domination. Yes, okay, that's your villain. Like, that's yes. anyone. The additional twist in romance to make you loathe them more is depravity and perversion. Like, not always. You don't have to have a perverted thing. Because the examples they give, which I know you had issues with, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, 
Um, <laughs> like, yes, maybe. Um, but there are plenty who... There, there are plenty of fantasy novels that have a romantic twist where the villains aren't sexual villains. Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be. You can have a villain who's just built... And then they even, they even say, even an antagonist who shows no obvious sexual perversion can be twisted in other ways. So it's just... They're generally evil, but you already said they were generally evil. That's what makes them the villain. So, yeah, I don't I know. It's like a topic. It was, a, yeah, it's a topic that I wanted this article to be good. I wanted it to like go in depth because it could be something that's really like there's a lot of meat on there to to really dig into and and sort of like question why we feel sometimes that you know violence towards women can be. A, like accepted without thought that like you said like it's kind of heteronormative and um and yeah. all that like there could be so much you could talk about and it doesn't talk about it and i think that's why we're so frustrated is it's mm -hmm. not it's not that it's like an evil article yeah it's, it's just not the worst article i've ever no, seen it just doesn't go into the, the detail it could do and therefore it's left us feeling like it's a bit lacking mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. however yeah. You know, Ugh. go over to the article, have a read, and yes. come back and tell us if you agree or disagree, because uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this topic as well. It's definitely a topic that we're all very passionate about, obviously, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we want to keep the conversation going with how to uh, tackle it in a good way, shall we say, mm -hmm. rather than gloss over it. Okay. All right. Another interesting article okay. to talk about, which is... Oh, yeah. um, Robots. Robots, oh, basically. Yes. So we're switching from fantasy to science fiction now. Yeah, I blacked fact, that out in my actually. mind because it's terrible. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, which is an announcement that the EU has just drafted a plan very recently to adjust the civil laws that apply to robots and robotics. And as part of this, it will give them electronic personhood. Mm -mm. So, mm -mm. <laughs> Chelsea read it and was just freaking out. No, no, no. <laughs> we were Chelsea, all just like, not on board. oh my good god. <laughs> it does sound a little bit ludicrous when you put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's yeah. One of those really, like, what they're talking things. about is not quite as terrifying as we think it is. Because yeah. corporations in law already have personhood. It allows them to do certain things, which may or may not be positive. Yeah, like there so are already so issues around that. <laughs> um, but it's about uh, having them, uh, you know, making sure that they are liable and holding somebody responsible for harm done. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But there's a brilliant article on a blog called A Future Worth Thinking About, which is written by an incredible person. Um, and he talks about how, whilst that's fine, you know, we do need to tackle these things about liability and law and how robots are dealt with. Um, by giving this term personhood, like, nobody's thought through the implications of this. Mm -hmm. um, like, the, creating a new category for non-biological persons under electronic personhood is just... Like, there's more to it than just this legal basis. And I mean, my reaction when I was first reading it was, I've just written down here, oh my God, science fiction is all true. Yeah, it's all real. Um, and if you actually look at the real thing that he's talking about, the actual European draft, and we will put a link into the article and the draft paper, 
it's you know it's a european parliament committee on legal affairs it's all stamped and whatever mm -hmm. it opens yeah. talking about literature which is just fascinating it starts yes. with whereas from mary shelley's frankenstein's monster to the classical myth of pygmalion through the story of prague's golem to the robot of carol chapek who coined the word people have fantasized about the possibility of building intelligent machines more often than not androids with human features and what it's just amazing. It's like the actual paper itself reads like a science fiction story and it suddenly brings home to you this like utter terror of like we live in science fiction come true. Yeah. Like it talks it about definitely humankind stands on the threshold of an era where ever more sophisticated <laughs> robots and other manifestations of artificial intelligence seem poised to unleash a new industrial revolution, which is likely to leave no stratum of society untouched. That could be a trailer no, for a you. film, couldn't it? Like, <laughs> that literally could be the trailer for a new science fiction. Yeah. They actually, <laughs> they actually reference and quote the three laws of robotics from Isaac Asimov in it, and I'm just reading it. Like, the more you read it, the weirder it gets, yeah. and you're thinking, "This is law. This is real," and it's absolutely baffling. Yeah. But one of the, I, I could just go on about this forever. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, when you think about personhood and all these robots, like, you think about iRobot and the, the robots taking, they, they... What's so scary is it's not like a corporation having personhood. The ultimate aim with co corporations is not, like, all these genius people working to give them sentience. Yeah. Like, we're placing laws on something that is still in its infancy. So when it's going no to develop and people doing. are trying to make them intelligent and into something that could become much more of a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know I... we recently read, um, well, Caitlin recently read Closed and Common Orbit by Becky Chambers, which deals a lot with that. Yeah, I mean, that book, it's not out yet, so I won't give any spoilers, but it definitely okay, focuses on <laughs> a main uh, robot AI character trying to sort of assimilate into humankind mm -hmm. and become a human and live undetected so it's definitely an interesting book to compare i i sort of think mm -hmm. that it does a lot of interesting stuff in that book that is kind of happy because becky chambers is that kind of writer yeah but it could have gone a very different way <laughs> um if she was not that kind of writer and she wanted to take it in a very dark way then things could have definitely gone very differently and uh, the main character could have got involved in all sorts of stuff which would require laws to be in place and to counteract but as it stands that one is not too terrifying <laughs> because yeah. it's quite a happy series but thinking but, about other yeah. books that we've read recently like sinners yeah, with sinners, yes. like artificial intelligence <laughs> and um illuminae which i know we've all yeah. recently yeah. read by so they, um, these are the other end of the spectrum yeah. from that one where artificial intelligence is integrated into society it's still considered like artificial and a robot like a helper to the humans yeah. but it gains more sentience than they're willing to believe or wanted it to have mm -hmm. and yeah. it it's created from its own self and and we don't know where this is going to go and yet we're trying to make laws about it without thinking through far enough and that's what that future worth thinking blog talks about mm -hmm. 
And one yeah. of the things they reference is another article, which is so good. I love good. this and, article. Oh I love God. this article so much. Uh, which is from the New York Times Sunday Review, and it's called Artificial Intelligence's White Guy Problem. And it's basically saying that we encode our biases into our algorithms, into the computing technology that we build. Um, and at the moment, you know, the structural problems of the world are racism and sexism and, like, problems against sexuality. And it goes into a couple of different problems, like... Google's photo app aut applies automatic labels to pictures, mm -hmm. was classifying images of black people as gorillas. Google apologized. Yeah. It was unintentional. But they obviously tested these things on a larger batch of white people than black people. You yeah. know? Um, they're saying, like, algorithms learn by being fed certain images chosen by engineers. And if the engineers are unconsciously biased one way or another the system learns that and the system learns that bias really well yeah there's another article from uh the mit technology review that's talking about the world 2vec data set which is like a huge data set that uh, companies like google use to pull from for their search queries and it uses um uh, an algorithm based on comparison so for example if you type in paris is to france as tokyo is to X, it, the answer will be obviously Japan. However, what this article is talking about is if you type in father as to doctor as mother is to X, the answer will be nurse. And if you type in man is to computer program programmer as woman is to X, the answer will be homemaker. So delightful. Yeah. So oh. clearly there are some like underlying um both racial and gender-based connotations, which is not surprising when you keep in mind that a large, large portion of computer programmer, well, all computer programmers are human. All humans are <laughs> <Yeah>. fallible, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but most of those fallible humans are also white males. Yeah, so... which we spoke about in our last episode when we were talking about how they actively changed um, like computer engineering and programming to be a male uh, dominated yeah. profession and that was artificially engineered by humans mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's part of what makes it so so scary to me is i am you know i make jokes all the time about if we have to pick an evil overlord i am fine with google being our future technology rulers like that's <laughs> yeah it you know, whatever it's it's coming down the pike but to give legal rights and guarantors to a system that is already being biasly programmed even if unintentionally and then to do so without full respect to the potential growth and consequences of that field is just like really scary as a lady yeah. and we should probably pump the brakes on that a little bit until yeah. we understand how that's gonna work yeah like yeah. putting laws down on it before we understand where it's going is not yeah. Yeah, exactly. and or like putting down laws that don't deal with, like don't seriously think through the implications yeah. enough. They just deal with how it is now without thinking about the future far enough. Yeah. And um, both the MIT article and the New York Times article talk about ways in which we should deal with it or people are dealing with it. The, the MIT guys um, looked into ways they could correct the biases 
Um, and and it, they did it really well, and it, it seems to be a really clever way of fixing things. Mm-hmm. But um, the New York Times article talks about how we really need to get corporations and um, governments involved and making laws about this. Like, there needs to be active um, sort of change and, and stuff done about it rather than just letting technology learn from our biases now, which is mm-hmm. kind of... It's just learning from this mass of information, most like a lot of which is just horrendous yeah. and full of like the unconscious things that we say or the very conscious things that people say negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, this is a very good jump into sinners because uh, the artificial intelligence that comes up in that um like the way they talk about the the internet and stuff like that there's a lot about how it learns just from what's on well they call it the data line but the web like what's what information is out there and it's just grown mm-hmm. naturally um and um Cadigan is is very very involved in this sort of it, she's very heavily involved in technology and the developments of that and she was back then she yeah coined the term techno-feminism back in the 90s. Such a good term. Yeah. Such a good term. There was a more widely used term called cyber-feminism, but it was felt that this only really dealt with, like, the information technology rather than also biotechnology and the wider worlds of, like, physical technology, so robots and the way technology interacts with our physical selves, which is something that Sinners deals a lot with and which we will jump into i think yeah let's go on to sinners Uh, okay yeah like we said in the beginning where where to start there will be spoilers ahead there be spoilers here so if you have plans to read it or are currently reading it and are not quite through the end this would probably be the time to pause or skip ahead or yeah we'll try and do a little bit at the beginning with non-spoilers and then jump right in and fully spoil you all yeah so 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 just just be aware don't don't come and rage at us on twitter because you have been warned you have been (laughs) appropriately informed could we try and and like summarize in this because i really felt like the blurb on this book was completely misleading yeah i read I read a book review, which I found online. I'll link it below. And one of the things that they mentioned was the definition of sinners and the fact that sinners itself gave a very different view to what this book might be about. Mm. So when I read the title Sinners, I was very much under the impression that it was going to be... Well, I mean, hearing the title Sinners first puts the wrong thing in your mind anyway, because it's not necessarily sinning yeah, is, is in like god and things like that which ethics, is what you initially yeah. think mm. then you notice that it's spelt with a y so you're like oh well maybe it's like robots doing something and we've changed it to a y because that's cooler and maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's what she's done and so you're like oh maybe it's like you know sitting with robots or some, something's going on there mm-hmm. and then then you find out the definition of sinners itself which is actually Members of the online hardcore, an outlaw band of hackers, simulation pirates, and a reality synthesizers hooked on artificial reality and virtual space. I want to be a simulation pirate. So it's not quite. (laughs) Yes, simulation pirate does sound really quite cool. Well, in the book, they define it as synthesizers. It's people who synthesize, people who make things. So hackers, programmers, video makers, 
creators what we call now creators like yeah. content like, creators we would yeah. be sinners in the yeah. operational definition of oh, this book no. we create digital <laughs> content for consumption by others yeah we take yeah. things in and turn them into something else mm -hmm. yeah um, so once you sort of understand the definition of sinners you can kind of get a bit more of the what the book mm -hmm. is about it's about a various different people there's a big corporation as there usually is trying to change things around and come up with new technologies that loads of people are going to love and they're going to make lots of money off and we have a group of sort of ragtag pirate like shall we say uh hackers who are not really on board with this and you kind of follow these two different uh people or groups i suppose where you've got the big corporation doing their thing and you've got the hackers doing their thing and inevitably they meet in various virtual ways yeah. and there's a conflict there. Yeah, so that would be it's my in kind a world of where like a certain amount of virtual reality is present, like these hot suits that simulate the feeling yeah. of, of like if you're watching a music video or a movie, you can be in it because mm -hmm. the suit will like squeeze you in certain ways and show you the movie right into your eyes. But then this new technology gets introduced where they literally drill into your skull. I'm like gesturing, like drill into yes. your skull and put these wires in. So you you feel it as well. And you yeah. you are hooked directly into your um, entertainment experiences mm -hmm. and into the web. Sorry, but it all guess, gets a little bit too sketchy and scary for me. And of weird. course, at that point is when the book takes its really kind of dark turn and yeah things. and this is the new technology yeah. that the big company is trying to introduce so yeah and it's it's how we grapple with that and the thoughts around that that are really mm -hmm. quite so interesting yeah. but i mean we mentioned last week about our overwhelming feeling about there being so many female characters in it more than we expected in a, mm -hmm. a like a cyberpunk or sci-fi type novel um does everyone still feel that by the time we got to the end Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so, definitely. I think you notice a lot more that it should be that way mm -hmm. in all books. Yeah. And reading a book that does do sort of fifty percent female male yeah. makes you think, Why aren't all books like yeah. this? Because that's the thing. It's Which... not like it's like all women and no men. It's just like Yeah, no, a it's, nice it's just a good equality balance. of representation. But even that is so rarely occurring that we're like, oh my God, there are so many women. What is happening? How are there so many women? Because obviously <laughs> women are people who can do things also. Yeah. There were characters yeah. where they didn't, they didn't, their gender didn't come up for like a yeah, page or two. It really didn't matter. And then it snapped into place and they'd say she or he or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, oh, it's a woman. And I'm imagining them as a man. And I'm like, what my brain yeah. has been programmed badly like unconscious biases yeah. are a bitch elizabeth i'm so sorry yeah <laughs> yes but kind of what i liked about this book is it's framed as though there are obviously people who are operating through bad motives but the technology in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing mm. like it ends up becoming a harmful and bad thing because of like we were just talking about earlier, lack of understanding about how it's going to function and lack of forethought into what might happen. But there are like therapeutic and potential positives for the technology mentioned. And so I just think that's interesting because technology in and of itself will never really be 
it will always be neutral and it is up to humans to apply it in ways that are either positive or negative so yeah yeah so much so yeah um it's like it's not about the technology it's about like the corporate use of it just Mm -hmm. trying anything to make money is what is questioned and it's very much like at the end uh, this isn't a spoiler like one of the characters like right at the end like tries to run off to a pastoral idyll and get away from technology Mm -hmm. and um it doesn't work you know the other characters come and they're just like there's you can't do that like you can't do that (laughs) you can't disconnect from technology it's still here it's still out there like we have to deal with what happened yeah um yeah and be intelligent about it and be informed um Mm -hmm. which i thought was fascinating yeah i really i really appreciated that i also really liked the commentary there were a couple conversations of how in this future world much like in ready player one we have kind of gotten the physical planet to a place that is no longer as easy or positive to inhabit and so Mm -hmm. instead we have retreated into this digital world as opposed to actually taking steps to fix it we are just running away from it and trying to go digital Um, that really reminded me of um, Otherland actually which is by Ted Williams mm -hmm. that I read the whole series for the first book sort of hints at a very similar situation where the world is kind of going downhill everything's a little bit messed up and so everyone retreats into virtual reality and that sort of becomes the place that everyone sort of lives and does their day-to-day stuff and they just get like nutrients from suits and so on because they don't want to live with what they've done they just want to hide in VR and this book definitely reminded me a lot of, mm-hmm. of Otherland later on as well. I won't say because I don't want to spoil <laughs> Otherland, but some of the stuff that happens in Sinners, I was like, oh man, this is so like Otherland. I think I don't know which was written first actually, and I'm sure they probably didn't steal off each other, but there was a lot that I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so but I like cool. that um, Cadigan presents like multiple ways of interacting with it. So you have one character who fully fully immerses into the virtual reality um yeah. and the the connections you have one character who was very much part of the previous version of the technology where they were really into their way of having the hot suit and the goggles and mm-hmm. so it wasn't quite so immersive yeah. um so they were they used it but they weren't in it mm-hmm. um and then mm. you had the characters who were doing things to create virtual reality or were like but they they programmed it they adjusted it they so you had sam who was the hacker like extraordinaire mm-hmm. who yeah. mm-hmm. very much like worked through the net yeah. and you had gina who at the end is like i didn't do those things because technology made me change i did them to make like i made videos and technology yeah. because i wanted yeah. to do things experience things mm-hmm. um so and she doesn't necessarily judge it isn't like getting into the technology getting him into the net is bad and yeah. then getting yeah. out of it is good it was all just different you know, ways of expressing which yeah i mean it's all just different levels of interaction with that technology and yeah. how should yeah. we 
should we veer oh. into some spoilery stuff? Yeah, let's go I for think full we might spoilers have to. because I want to so. talk about artificial intelligence. And I want to talk about <laughs> bleeding faces. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that really so sums you two fully, up, doesn't it? Yeah. Getting fully into the spoilers, this book gets batshit crazy. So um, fucking yeah. crazy. So oh crazy. Oh my god. Like, at the beginning, like, I read a lot of reviews online afterwards just to, like, to see what other people were thinking. And they were like, oh, I gave up after 30 pages. It was so difficult. I hated the multiple points of view. I hated the, like, the future being weird and, and, and whatever. And then I was like, no, you've just got to keep reading. criticisms. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying, that's really... not fair. If, if yeah. I had not yeah. had this <laughs> conversation coming, I might not have pushed on to the point where it got... Yeah as good as it did but i felt like once i got to about halfway through a little after halfway through it suddenly became clear why all of that really complex setup was so necessary because Mm -hmm. what happens you need all those things coming together Mm -hmm. to understand like this is a big story about lots of people because real situations aren't simple like real life how technology and corporations and people and situations interact don't involve two people versus the great government yeah. like yeah. saving the day it's everyone yeah <laughs> and there's so much in the technology and how it survived or didn't survive that mm-hmm. made it how it was so yeah I, I just thought it was brilliant how it all came together so to to yeah. do a little a little synopsis of the spoilery parts um yes. we've already mentioned that <laughs> the holes in the scholar drill they're called sockets so you are able to yeah. directly kind of mentally import what is essentially the internet into your brain um and I'm- it's v- a very experimental procedure and essentially a yeah. virus is released uh and it becomes a sentient virus and it spreads to anyone who kind of has these neural connections and basically just causes their brains to melt. Yeah. Or yeah. or to, <laughs> to just kind of implode. They shut down. And so it kind of literally not only kills people, but, but dismantles the internet as it's no, like, in the context of the book and just takes this world that is kind of fully reliant on this digital access and input and destroys it. Which is super terrifying. It would so cool. It's because it's the the way that the virus happens and the way that she explains it is that it's a stroke because the guy the way that the sockets work is not only can you experience the internet in your head and get these feelings coming in, is that mm-hmm. you can push stuff back out and like make yeah. what's in your head visualized on the web. Mm-hmm. And so this guy is visualizing making amazing music videos and whatever. And then has a stroke. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, music videos. When those were like a thing. Yeah. (laughs) But then he he has a stroke whilst hooked up to it. So this stroke, this and the thoughts he was having, pass out, pulsed out. Yeah, and pulse out and go into everybody else. And you think, yes, if somebody had a stroke and pushed it out there, and everybody else then experienced it. Horrible. Yeah, and. But then what's so super, super duper great is not only does it melt your brain, while it's melting it, you turn into a zombie. Yeah, it's so awesome. I felt like it was, it's a lot like, it's the cuts between the point of view. So you you Mm. cut from one person's point of view to another and from their in real life, in inverted commas, point of view to their virtual point of view. But Mm. it's like, it's it's trying to describe like being and browsing on the web now. Mm. But your point of view and your attention 
focuses and switches between one to another. Think about switching tabs, like you're on yeah. one thing and you're talking with, we're talking now, and then I'm switching between different things that I'm paying attention to. And if you were trying to like read my brain and what it was focusing on, it's like, yeah, it would be trying would be to say crazy. that is so hard. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like listening to music while also reading on Twitter, while also looking at the article from Huffington Post, while also trying to organize your Google calendar and all, all those things that we are so used to doing simultaneously digitally. Yeah. That, yeah. If you could open up a brain and look at the processing as that's happening, it would just be like a giant like. Also trying to remember that Cadogan was writing this before this was a thing. Like there were computers yeah. and yeah. programs that you, software that you ran, but they did not work in the way yeah. that these do. I found do. that that was probably the biggest thing I had to keep reminding myself of was like, yeah. this isn't something that was written a year ago. This is something that was written decades ago yeah. because it feels like it could have easily been written a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 1989 she said she wrote it. it was published in 1991 but she wrote it in 89 because i t tweeted her to say oh my god it was so good <laughs> and um and she was like uh it's a lot less there's a lot less science fiction in it than when i wrote it and i i kind of wanted to be like what did it get cut out did the editors yeah. get to and then i was what? like oh um, it all came yes. true yes but yeah. also yes <laughs> This book is not as Predicted fictional now as it future. was when she originally created it, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, imagine, like, being the audience when it first came out. Yeah. It must have been crazy. It's batshit I mean, crazy we think now. it's crazy now, so... Before the 90s, like this. Yeah, and they even but have, like... was written before I was born. Yeah, <laughs> super portable technology, like, the, it, she talks about it being in, disguised inside an insulin pump, but that's basically a mobile phone, isn't it? That's, like, yeah. small, oh, yeah. handheld... Yeah, um, essentially. Which is just fantastic. And um, I, I particularly love the, like, the focus on how this technology interacts with human beings, not just on that, like, crazy zombie level, yeah. but just on the yeah. intricacies of, like, the sockets go in your brain and stuff. But there were lots of other... It, it was obviously, like, that's what everyone's focused on because that was the major issue, but there yeah. were small things that hinted at this could keep developing. This is obviously the way mm. that in this imagined future it's going to go. And you think, yeah, this is how it is literally going now. Yeah. Um, the insulin pump computer is powered by a human being. It's needles. The needles of the insulin pump go into her flesh. Yeah, her and that powers it like a potato clock. And she refers to herself as the potato at one point. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's something I've always wished for that i'm like that is the next step in technology that i am really i'm happy to take but lots of people are like squicked by like <laughs> i would go yeah, for like an apple watch it would be um, nice to never need a phone charger because you yeah. can just be the charger but then we talk about yeah. like um now we have cybernetic limbs that hook straight into your nervous system and whatever and <sighs> Yeah, and that's how they move, is they pick up on impulses and whatever. So we're already there. This isn't mm -hmm. still science fiction or, like, the next step. It's already there, but it's yeah. just that could soon very quickly and easily take the step from being, oh, mm -hmm. well, it'll help people in, like, health terms to, oh, well, we might as well and everyone will have them. Yeah. And that's yeah. a lot of how they got the, the law through there is that 
they already had these like implants that helped people deal with mental health problems mm -hmm. um and then they were like well these sockets could help people in other ways and then they passed the law without thinking through the other repercussions mm -hmm. um so yeah. you have this like potential now we, we are sit that sitting so right we there. don't want to do this guys <laughs> like let's not do this stuff and let's not have strokes going across the internet yeah. we yeah. don't want all that well and, so, that's, yeah, and very of course that's in the book today. that's the thing they pass the law it goes you know global then the stroke happens and the virus hits and that's the point at which and lawmakers are no... like okay no we need to run some yeah, testing we need to have some trials we need <laughs> to have some like you know proper methods of certification which i think we should have done this earlier yeah, definitely probably should have been <laughs> on top of that a little situation. sooner um, yeah but that's what i really appreciate like there were two points that really stuck out to me one was after the internet kind of goes down or after the net goes down one of the characters talks about how she can't even imagine driving without these like smart programmed cars that have this internet yeah. connection which essentially is like a gps like yeah and i know yeah. people today who have said things like that to me they're like well i just use my gps for everything i don't even know like how i would be Chelsea, able to that do is anything me. without my gps like i don't use maps <laughs> Yeah, and so I it's just like, like used that. the she's like, oh, it would be so scary to drive even fifty feet without knowing exactly what was coming ahead of you. And I'm like, use your eyeballs. Like that's how you know what's coming up ahead of you. Like <laughs> so, it's that like subtle reliance on the network that is still there. There are still people who I think would almost literally cease to function. If I they just genuinely didn't have think the that like the idea of driving somewhere without having my GPS scares me because I've never done yeah. it and like having to look at a map and write down where to go and what roads to go onto without having a GPS that is terrifying to me yeah so I'm one of those people yeah. because GPS has always been a thing since I've learned to drive I think in the like probably on the same sort of page or maybe within the same sort of like statement they mm. talk about feeling claustrophobic without having access to the net yeah and that is how mm. we would feel now like how i feel when my wi-fi goes down like i'm freaking oh, out God, yeah. you don't know how to function it's like the end of the world yeah. because it literally is. our brains are trained into having this access and being and, and functioning this particular way and mm. and talking to Just people having and, all the connections yeah to people and, and one of the um the phrase that repeats throughout this novel is change for the machines. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and it's talking about, you know, a lot of what it deals with is how we as human beings alter the way we function yeah. for the machines or are altered mm -hmm. by our interactions with technology, whether that's the internet or, you know, technology that literally implants into our flesh and blood. Mm. Um, and which we whether, can already say that we are doing yeah. today well, and it's changing that, like, it happens every time the new iphone comes out i mean people have to oh, yeah. readjust and like we not only adapt machines for our use but like elizabeth was just saying like our brains have adapted for the use and of this technology like on a very small scale it's when my phone is dead and when my husband and i are having an argument and i'm like well i'm just gonna look it up and prove you wrong and then i'm like no, I'm not because my phone is dead. And so there goes <laughs> yeah. all my instant access to information. And it's just, you're so used to reaching for and picking up and having that connection to 
the world at your entire fingertips that then to not have that feels both claustrophobic and incredibly isolating at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and one of yeah. the phrases they say in the book is, um, you know, change for the machines. Every time they bring in a new machine, more change. And you think, mm-hmm. yeah, like every time a new, like you said, a new iPhone comes out, you alter, and every time a new version of a software comes out. But you think how much jobs have changed over the last 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Like, we brought in computers to make a specific job easier, like word processing was easier than typing. But mm-hmm. what has come about has been a complete change in our economy, basically, oh, yeah. on how we function. We now have the information economy rather than, like, the service or the... Um, production you know, Manufacturing economy. and yeah. production, yeah. Yeah. And it's it completely changed everything. And so we, we do, we change our society, we change the way our habits, the way mm-hmm. we interact with people, not necessarily negatively, not necessarily positively, mm-hmm. like going back to what we said right at the beginning, technology is largely neutral if we set aside the inherent biases that we put into it. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, setting those aside. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just fascinating. And also one of the, Another another great thing about this book, we keep saying, one of the great things about this book is the main characters, the major three, mm-hmm. um, I would say, are Gabe, um, Gina, and Mark. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. middle-aged, all yeah, of them. they're all older. Mm-hmm. Um, because whilst everybody talks about this book being like, oh, frenetic youth culture, MTV generation, like hackers and young kids in the like counterculture in their like squat cadigan like she talks about that quite negatively like sam the daughter of gabe mm-hmm. the great she's a great hacker but she hates living in that squat she, that counterculture yeah, she is, hates the communal living yeah kind of yeah she's not yeah not into that but <laughs> so, but um gina and mark and Gabe and we also have Fez and Gator who are all older as well mm-hmm. um, they've survived these changes from the machine it's all about adaptation and learning and being aware and, and like how you interact with technologies and yeah. surviving that change and the mm-hmm. people who don't haven't survived the younger generation you see them struggling in these like mad MTV hacker like places yeah but... literally these like yeah. squatter communities like under piers and in abandoned buildings and like i mean they're literally it's what you would imagine a cyberpunk future like gang of teen hackers to be doing and living in Um, (laughs) yeah and on the on the similar point that's the other thing i loved about this book is they talk very briefly about it's not just as though the sockets came out of nowhere and have only ever done harm. Like every new scientific advancement comes with losses for the gains it provides, whether that's Mm -hmm. fusion or fission or the airplane or, I mean, the book even goes as far back as the creation of fire or the discovery of fire. And that's, that's very true and very apt with great change and great benefit comes great potential loss and great responsibility throw a little spider-man in there for you um (laughs) but you know so that's that's kind of what i i setting the biases aside that's kind of what stuck out to me because we will at least foreseeably never create or have new invention if we are constantly only focused on the potential 
negatives and attention need be paid and proper test studies and trials need be run before we go drilling holes into people's skulls. But there are, (laughs) there will always be the potential for exploit and the potential for loss and the potential for people to use and abuse the system. And that in and of itself should not be a stop to progress or to attempts to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. There's a brilliant article I found, and unfortunately you will need um, either an institutional access or to pay to access it because it's in an academic journal. Stupid JSTOR. No, with JSTOR. (laughs) It's really good. It's called uh, um, Pat Cadigan Sinners Refiguring Nature, Science and Technology by Laura Chernake um, from the Feminist Review in 1997. So we're going back a bit. But what she says is that going back to like Caitlin's very, very first point about this, about the name sinners, she she argues that the idea of sin and sinning is brought into it. And this does use a deconstruction of like Judeo-Christian religion and tropes about original sin and mm-hmm. knowledge and that quest for learning more to um, to argue that we need to be knowledgeable and the phrase that's used in the book incurably informed mm-hmm. when it comes to technology um and we need to to approach it from a, a position of knowledge and then use it rather than like suggesting that knowledge is a is a negative thing and that yeah. this whole like sinning metaphor is very interesting and i thought mm-hmm. that was absolutely brilliant so I'll, I'll yeah we'll put the link in there and then if you can get to it or find it somehow then that's great yeah. then yeah but yeah so we've talked a lot about things we liked anything we didn't like anything that stuck out as being too much or kind of a a thorn in the side so to speak it was a difficult book yeah this pushed me way out of my comfort zone it was a very ambitious first pick for yeah like we definitely didn't (laughs) go in with a light one we went in guns blazing with this one because it is so foreign to Mm. what I was thinking it would be yeah, yeah. I thought it'd be difficult but I didn't realize it'd be this yeah. hardcore but I think it was rewarding for that difficulty mm-hmm. like we've had a really good discussion oh, about yeah. it we could keep talking about this for a really long time because there is so much that she raises mm-hmm. that is really interesting and relevant to today still so yeah. I think it was worth it but I do think it was a struggle at times to get through (laughs) yeah the the first half basically i was confused for a lot of the time um yeah i I actually ended up having to get a piece of paper and write out every character and try and remember who how they turned up and who they were connected to Mm -hmm. and then once i'd got that in my head by about 50 percent through i was like okay and I knew who everybody was and it kind of slowed down then because there weren't any more new characters you mm-hmm. knew who everybody was but getting your head around so many points of view and she would mm. jump the cuts between the points yeah. of view were so rapid that's and that's the problem I had it wouldn't tell you for a page or two whose point of view you were coming from and whilst that yeah. was a brilliant actual part of it and part of how she constructs this feeling of it being so chaotic it was chaotic. It was yeah. hard to grasp sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But, like Caitlin said, it made it really valuable yeah. and, like, so good in the end. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not what I would call like a popcorn read or an entertaining read. I think it's much more of a thought-provoking Very much read so. than it is entertainment. Like you need to go into this book sort of thinking, right, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to see things that I maybe haven't thought of before. And that it's going to take a while. Rather than going into it. Yeah. Yeah, and it will take a while. Usually, to sort of usually I will you, not but... recommend any book where I had to get to over the halfway mark before things actually started to click yeah, or I think pick this up is one or of those kind of books come together. That... But yeah, this is definitely one of those books where the end justified it... the path, mm-hmm. but I felt like for a lot of it, yeah. it was one of those like, And I think it's wandered, massively yeah. benefited as well from us discussing it. Like, I genuinely feel like us discussing it has made the whole thing worth it. Because if you just read this on your own and you didn't have people to discuss this with, it would be slightly like you've missed out. Yeah, I yeah. Would feel very, Having the discussion yeah. is really where things have come more to life for us. I think us, that I think. with a lot of books where they are so clever and so, there's so much to them that actually just reading them as a quick, fun read you you miss out on so much and you really don't necessarily enjoy them like um frankenstein one of my favorite books of all time Mm -hmm. actually like as a sit down and like have a nice read isn't that much of a good read but it's so good it's so good good to discuss yeah like i feel the same way about uh gatsby completely different genre completely different style and thing (laughs) happening but that is also one of those books that benefits more by the discussion and sharing of the book than it necessarily does just through the text mm. alone and by mm. itself yeah so. and I feel like with Sinners already like as soon as I finished it I was like this I could reread this and I bet I would see another 20 mm. million layers yeah. Like, yeah. that oh, I yeah. missed out the first time like that sort of yeah. book I saw a couple of reviews where people said that they'd done like three rereads and they just got to the point where they felt like they'd taken it all in mm-hmm. I was like oh Okay. Yeah, definitely so one of those future. books. Yeah, where now that you, now that I understand who is who and what is actually happening, going back to the beginning, I feel like yeah, would just reveal another layer of stuff that I missed because I was so busy trying <laughs> to get a, a grasp on just the basic plot line and character structure. And like Caitlin said, I mean, this is one of those books that you could take from almost any angle, and there will be so much to discuss that it is it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> it's yeah. that it's kind of an yeah. information overload kind of thing but as a first pick for a lady vault's choice like my god this was a good choice because it has shown me like so much value of like women writing like 20 30 years ago like well how long ago was it 25 years ago 25 26 yeah. something like that like, it's too early for math <laughs> hard. and She's not somebody... She does come up if we're talking about cyberpunk and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And she's still prevalent and people know about her, but it's not... She's not an author that you hear about tons on BookTube yeah. or necessarily... Yeah, um, no, she, yeah. she's I recognize the name, but could not have told you anything she had actually written before yeah. we sat down to read Sinners. And this is exactly yeah. why we want to, like, read these things, is to find out why everybody talked about these books back in the day and like realize you know remember that there's all this amazing stuff not just what's coming out new but like these amazing books that we have Mm -hmm. to inform us um and that will reveal the same arguments and and frame current arguments with Mm -hmm. like brilliant sort of ideas yeah and with that said shall we uh 
talk about the next book that we're planning to read. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, yeah, good. We shall put an end to Sinners, ladies, and <laughs> yeah. move on to the next Lady Vault pick will be fantasy. We're going to alternate or try our best to alternate between sci-fi and fantasy. The next one will be much shorter <laughs> and probably <Yep. laughs> slightly less ambitious. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hopefully. We are going to be picking up Dragonflight by Anne McCaffrey, which um, yeah. I have never read any Anne McCaffrey, although I have heard of Nor the Dragon Riders of Pern. Yeah, so this is the first one in the Dragon Riders clan. It was originally published in 1968. 68? Yeah, this one's quite an old one. Back in the vaults, man. Um, Well done. So this one is is an old one, um, which is why I'm quite excited Mm -hmm. to dive into it. I had Um, no idea that the Dragon Riders series was so old. Yeah. yeah, I just looked it up because the, the edition I've got is the 1981, but it said it was a reprint. So I was like, let me see. And apparently it's 68. Wow. So, so yeah. I actually have read this before when I was a kid um, and I sort of started getting into fantasy. But I literally remember nothing. I, I have this vague mm. memory about literally like people riding dragons and so I'm something pretty sure about there will be dragons in it. <laughs> yes. Like, so <laughs> that's as far as I've got. So so this will basically be a be a first read even though it's a reread. Um because that's all I remember. Yeah. Um, and then while we're talking about it, before we go on to uh what we're reading, I will go ahead and say uh, we will probably be well not probably we will be skipping the next episode we all three of the magical space pussycats are headed to various conventions uh elizabeth and caitlin are going to nine worlds and then i will be going to mid-american so we will be holding off the next episode until the end of august and then we'll be talking we'll be coming back with a kind of a mega episode <laughs> where we will include spoilers and we will just talk about all of Dragonflight um, and do the whole book as well as kind of a convention wrap up so if you don't see us in your in your feeds or on YouTube for a while do not fear we have not abandoned you we are <laughs> simply off doing we're just convention going to find things. out all the exciting stuff yeah so rather than being back in two weeks we'll be back in four weeks and we just mm-hmm. won't do that like middle of the book sort yeah, of thoughts we'll just, we'll just go right straight in. into the end and wrap it up and full full discussion yeah so oh, very exciting yeah all right so uh should we talk about what we're reading what everybody's got on the go yeah, yeah no, can yes. do. is anybody um, reading anything <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say no maybe <laughs> um yes i am reading i am reading something <laughs> I am reading uh, Never Night by Jay Christoph, which I think comes out in like a week or so, so I want to try and get it done over this weekend. Um, I'm 100 pages in now and it's starting to get good, but it's it's quite a weird book because it's written in quite a sort of YA style, but then it's got these quite intense footnotes. So He's one of um, the people uh, that wrote Illuminae. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep, he's the male half yeah. of the Illuminae duo. <laughs> yeah that team yeah so it's an interesting one so far it's got like um a a cat made out of shadows in it which i'm quite enjoying um and all sorts of weird stuff like that so it's it's an interesting one and then the other book that i am 
not yet reading but about to start is The Fox by Sherwood Smith which is the second Ooh. one in her Inda Ugh. series. I did not so. like Inda. Uh, I did not like it at all. Oh, so I, I liked like Inda, but that one was another one that was kind of confusing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I think The Fox is different. I think it's a lot more piratey, so mm. I'm interested in that. Because <sighs> I like me some pirates. <laughs> Speaking of pirates, that's such a good accidental transition. I am currently reading Excellent. Red Seas <laughs> Under Red Skies by Scott Lynch, which is the Yay. second of the Gentleman Bastard Amazing. books. And is all about con artists and pirates. One. And I just, I hate the term <laughs> bromance, but like, damn. The Gentleman Bastards is such a good bromance book of these. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's like Ocean's Eleven meets one of the most well-crafted fantasy worlds I've read in a very long time. So... I am reading that as part of my quest to read a bunch of the authors who are going to be at Mid-Americon, and I absolutely love The Lies of Locke Lamora, which was the first one in the series, so decided to move on to the second one, so I'm currently reading that, and then I'm getting ready to start uh, a little bit of a Gail Carriger binge. I have oh, uh, Imprudence coming up, which is the sequel to Prudence, which is the second one in the Custard Protocol series, and then I'm getting ready to start curtsies and conspiracies is that the first one in the finishing school no etiquette and espionage that one. is the first one i believe that one. they're all alliterative i get them all confused <laughs> yeah. but the... that was one of them i yeah. think <laughs> but uh getting ready to start the first book in the um series that finishing i just said school. i'm so tired finishing school <laughs> the finishing series. school series yeah. that one That's the those one. books so august yeah. will probably mostly be con reading and gail carriger for me so i am very excited which is not a bad thing no, not a bad combo at all <laughs> what about you elizabeth um i had to pretty much set aside everything to finish sinners so um i'm going to go back to the book of phoenix which is what i started reading two weeks ago <laughs> and i talked about it in the last episode yeah. so choice. i'm going to go back to yes. that and actually finish that and i'm also reading that's by Nedia Korafor uh, and what I've read of it is excellent mm -hmm. and then I'm also reading Way Down Dark by J.P. Smythe which oh, yeah. is a sci-fi uh, sort of young adult uh, main character is like teenage-y um, mm -hmm. but very grown up and sort of grim it's set on a, a spaceship that it it left a, a dying earth to try and find a new home and never did and so the spaceship has been going for far longer than was ever expected and it's turned into a, a hell nightmare basically there's gangs and thieves and thugs everywhere and Damn. our main character <laughs> yeah is trying to survive and yeah so far it's kind of weird Sounds like a really cheery one. Yeah. 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 But it's really interesting because the, the ship is called Australia and I'm guessing from there was a very recent description where the character talked about her hair compared to somebody else's hair and I'm getting the impression that she might be um aboriginal like mm -hmm. the the like all the ship people are literally from Australia and mm -hmm. so we're talking oh. about um indigenous peoples and uh, in the future which is a really interesting thing yeah um so I'm looking forward to seeing where they take it but I think it's mostly just going to be like survival style stuff <laughs> Cool. Sounds well good. Done. I've got that one on my. Yeah, as I say, I've heard. So. I've heard of it. I've heard good things of it. So. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, um, it's, it's good. in the shortlist for the Clark Awards, uh, mm. which is why I'm reading it and yeah. the Book of Phoenix. So we shall see. Excellent. All right, guys. So, I guess that kind of concludes this episode. It does. And our first book is done. 
Yay. So that's exciting. Well done, well done guys. Well done, us. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you guys for listening to episode three of Magical Space Pussycats. We will be back in four weeks' time for episode four, where we will be talking about Dragonflight by Anne McCaffrey. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at magic underscore, underscore space underscore cat. Uh, you can find us on our blog, magicalspacepussycats.wordpress.com, or you can find us on YouTube or iTunes. Just search for Magical Space Pussycats.